But first this hour, the ethics of providing advice to government when you're not government. The first public hearings for the Senate Committee inquiry into consulting services were held this week and we can start to see how the government sees this problem and what the possible fixes are. Now, just to remind you, if you haven't been following it, this inquiry was called after revelations that a former partner at PwC, that's the consultancy firm PricewaterhouseCoopers, shared secret government policy material with partners and other clients relating to a proposed crackdown on tax avoidance by multinationals operating here. It was all part, dating back to 2014 and the Abbott government's plans. Now, the breach was discovered during an audit by the Tax Practitioners Board in 2018, and it came to light earlier this year, prompting this inquiry. The Financial Review says that Treasury sought legal advice, but decided not to refer to the, the matter to the Federal Police. But I noticed they're reporting today in a very strong piece by Neil Chenoweth, the veteran reporter, um, distilling it, using outsiders can be val- invaluable for government, but how do you run a system when you have lost trust. So there's a great deal at stake and a former senior public servant, Andrew Podger, gave evidence to the inquiry and I welcome him now. Good morning, Andrew. Hi, Geraldine. You told the inquiry on Tuesday that consultants, quote, tailor their work in order to ensure they get future business. Seemed fairly precise language to me from you. Um, What were you getting at? What's the evidence? How do we know this happens? Well, I think... It's a it's it's a, a an obvious uh, point for of commercial reality. If you're providing um, policy advice in a consultant's report, you want to make sure that you're going to get future future business. So you're likely to uh, tailor it in some way towards uh, what the client is looking for. Now, I, I don't suggest that. Uh, advice is not provided that's very good advice and most of it, most of it will be. Mm. But there will be a, a an incentive to tailor it towards what you think your client wants to hear in order to get future business. And this, so this is, has this been recognised? I suppose that's the next question because it is obvious when you put it like that, but is this been something that is sort of generally taken for granted within um, the government commissioners' circles or not? Uh, I think it varies. I mean, there, is, there are two areas where uh, it's a good idea to, to get external advice and consultancies. Uh, one is where you need some expertise that it is not value for money to have inside, uh, that, that, uh, that the demand for that expertise isn't sufficient to require you to invest in it inside your organisation, so you buy it from outside. And the other area is where you want to have an external perspective from time to time on something that you feel that the internal expe- perspective may be too narrow, may be too uh, locked in, uh, and you want to have a, a fresh look at it, and so you you get somebody outside to do it. Um, so those are there are legitimate reasons for using consultancies, um, but you be but you then bear in mind that the consultant will wish to um, make sure that they get future future business. Now, on the second uh, side of it, on the external uh, perspective, uh, they will provide that fresh look, but take into account what they think the government or the department that might be employing them uh, is looking for uh, and get something that's, that's useful for them. So you do take that into account when, you, when you're, mm. when you're uh, 
engaging with a consultant, you're, you're aware of uh, that particular incentive. And for the most part, um, that incentive doesn't cause major problems. Yes, well, as, as again, this piece in the Financial Review quoted John Roskam, uh, the head of the conservative think tank, the Institute of Public Affairs, wrote late last week, what PwC did wrecked this process that you've really just described, Andrew, and will have repercussions for years. I wonder if that is your assessment too. Well, I don't... This, this case, I don't know uh, that... It's a common case at all. I mean, this is an is an extraordinary case, uh, and clearly the nature of it has broken trust between Treasury and the Treasurer and PwC. Uh, now, the consideration is: is it just a rogue person, or is it a broader issue within P- PwC? Five hundred and thirty-seven million dollars worth of government contracts, by the way, they That's- had with this. <laughs> Yes, but the issue is is if it's just a rogue person and it's not an issue then of overall trust and you can you can expect the organisation to sort it out. But if, in fact, as some of the material coming out over the last week or two suggests that there are, um, there are others who were aware of this, well, then you do have a breakdown in trust, in which case, you know, Treasury has to think very carefully about its use of PwC for some time. Mm. I mean, the government has already announced a $10 million evaluation unit to sit inside Treasury to, quotes, evaluate key programs, rebuild lost internal evaluation capability and support high-quality evaluation, such as better data practices. Now, this was an election pledge um, and, and the funding, we understand, will be formally announced in the budget next week. It's an intriguing sort of sidebar to all this. Why has there historically been resistance to evaluation of federally funded programs? Well, if I go back to uh, early 1990s, uh, the then uh, Hawke-Keating government um, introduced what I thought was best practice as an area, and that required any minister bringing forward a policy proposal to have within that policy proposal, first of all, what is the evaluation evidence uh, that supports this proposal? And secondly, if the proposal is agreed, how is it going to be evaluated to see that it actually achieves what we want it to achieve? In addition, the government at that time, uh, through the finance department, required every department to have an evaluation plan which clarified when they were going to evaluate all their programs. And that was a systematic way of having evaluation. That process was watered down over the over the subsequent years and hasn't been re- reintroduced. It's been recommended by Sodi report on the public service that it ought to be reintroduced, as have others. And I'm pleased to see a first step towards that with the establishment of this evaluation unit. So it's a, it's a step to reintroduce. The reason why it... it it's deteriorated, is that there is a political concern that evaluations might reveal things that went wrong and there will be a media beat up about it mm. and, and the politics of that is not particularly um, positive for the government of the day. Is $10 million enough to do that sort of work? Well, I don't think that $10 million is, is, is meant to do all the evaluations of everything. It's meant to be a centre of excellence and to promote evaluation. It'll do some evaluations itself, but I'm sure the next step is for that to be supporting a more systematic uh, process of evaluation across the public service. It's something I would very much welcome because it's not only good for getting better data about what our programs are doing, but it's also a way of re-establishing capability within the public service. 
because public servants doing that evaluation will build up their technical skills and their knowledge and be able to give better advice. So this will be for uh, work done by the public service and work done by external agencies? or I think it will be primarily done by the public service, but I think there will be some external. I think uh, with sensibly they will use some academics as well as some private companies, but I think for the majority it's likely to be done within the public service. But that's not been made clear yet, but the government has separately said that they're going to reduce uh, money spent on consultants and make more use of the public service expertise. I mean, the, the Green Senator, Barbara Pocock, who sponsored the inquiry, she's actually called for PwC Australia to be banned from doing consultancy work for the government. And I, I know you don't want to get drawn too much in, into the details of this, but I wonder if that sort of thing is likely to happen. I mean, $2 billion were handed out to consultancy firms. We've reported on this quite a bit on Saturday Extra. I wonder if you think we are, th- this is a bit of a tipping point or not. Well, I think this is a a particular case of abuse by the consultant of the trust that they they were expected to have. Uh, I don't think myself, from my knowledge, that that's common. Uh, But when it does occur, there needs to be a penalty. And an obvious penalty is to cease work with that company for some period of time, unless... They, the company's able to show it was absolutely a rogue person and their their procedures are right. But uh, at this point, the suspicion is that that's not so, in which case some period, I don't know how long, uh, the PwC should be told they will not get contracts, at least with Treasury and probably not elsewhere. All right, Andrew, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Okay, thank you very much. Andrew Podger, former head of the Australian Public Service, uh, uh, and uh, actually, I don't think that's completely accurate, and now Professor of Public Policy at ANU, but very senior and still contributing greatly. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations, live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.